right, we are looking at our scripture, John 15, 8 through 16, 4, that can be found on the screen or in the bulletin. Uh, Jesus has finished talking about being the vine and the branches. Uh, he is uh, heading with the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he is going to be arrested and tried and crucified. And uh, so he speaks to his disciples, and he's uh, talking to encourage them, to help them understand what is going to happen so that they will be prepared and ready for it. Hear the words of the Lord. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. The word of the Lord. Well, some of you are familiar with the ministry of Open Doors International. Uh, Open Doors is a ministry that uh, cares for the persecuted church. They have released their 2022 World Watch List, which lists the top 50 countries in the world uh, where Christians are persecuted. Uh, Afghanistan is number one. North Korea is number two. In these countries alone, 360 million Christians experience persecution. 315 million of them, a high degree of persecution. And their stats are harbingers, if you will, of the rest of the world. Persecution of Christians is at, is at its highest level in 30 years. Murder of Christians is up 23%. Churches attacked or closed, 13%. Christians arrested without trial around the world, up 44%. Now, the U.S. is not in the top 50 nations that are persecuted. But you have known, I'm sure to some degree, pressure or persecution for your faith. If you know any Christian millennial that goes to a liberal college, you might have heard about how their beliefs are judged. 
At campuses throughout the country, outspoken Christians are regularly demeaned, debased, and targeted for their beliefs. Many times these students will hear from others about how their religion only has hateful, bigoted, and privileged believers. Politicians who are Christians are regularly attached, uh, attacked for their Christian beliefs. You have possibly experienced pressure from your HR department to hold to certain views or to keep yours in check or else. There is a pressure in our country to keep our Christianity cloaked, to go along and get along. And the question we have to ask ourselves is why? A religion where Jesus Christ, the founder, said to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemy and to care for the orphan and the widow, a God who prayed for his enemies on the cross to forgive them, for they know not what they do. The reason there is and there will always be persecution is there is an incongruency between Christians and the world. The kingdom of the world is opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. And if you are, because you are a Christian, you will experience this too. The scriptures say that we are not of this world, that we are aliens and strangers in this world. And so the question I want to address today is how are we to live in this world? To not be overwhelmed by it, to succumb to it, or be numbed by it, but rather to be faithful to Christ. The message I believe that Jesus is communicating to us here is that Jesus gives us the ability and the responsibility to love those in the world while standing against the world. Well, how do we do that? We're going to look at two points to understand how we do that. Number one, we're going to look at the cause of this persecution. Where does it come from? What actually is it? And then we're going to look at our mission amidst the persecution of the world. So first, the cause of persecution. Jesus begins this passage saying to us as disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus comes out and says it, the world hates Jesus. And if you are experiencing hatred of the world, it started with Jesus first. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says the world? The Greek word is cosmos. And he's not talking about creation. He's not talking about the environment. He's talking about the created order of human beings and human affairs. He's talking about human government and human society that is an active rebellion against God. Now, God created humans, so we have to ask the question, what went wrong? Remember, when God created humans, the original humans, he said to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the earth. Now, he wasn't just speaking in an agrarian sense. Humans weren't simply meant to be farmers. We were meant to take our capabilities, our intellect, our skills, and our gifts, and we were meant to go out into the world 
to build cities, to create art and music and science, all for the glory of God. See, we were made to be living images of God. Each one of us attestations that there is a God who reigns on high. But Adam and Eve heard the temptation of the Satan that uh, of Satan that you don't have to follow God. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. It wasn't naivete that led them to eat that fruit. It was an active rebellion. And all of the world was plunged into sin and misery. And so now humanity builds cities and civilization and creates art and music. And it all is for the glory of man, not for the glory of God. Jesus in the scriptures tells the parable of a landowner who rented out a vineyard that he created to his tenants to work it, the vineyard being planet Earth. And when he sent his servants to collect uh, his share of the fruit, they beat them and sent them away. And finally, the owner sent his son, for surely they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said, here is the heir. Let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. See, Jesus came to the world that he created, but the world rejected him. John 1.10 puts it this way. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, why did the world hate Jesus so much? Why does it? Jesus spells it out very clearly in John 7, 7. The world hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. See, Jesus came and he testified to the world that you are in rebellion against me and you are accountable to your actions. But Jesus came to save the world, did he not? He came as savior. But you see, in order to believe in him, you have to first believe that you need saving. Jesus says in verse 22, if I had come, not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Is Jesus saying if he had not come that humanity would not be guilty? No, that's not what he's saying. The world is in rebellion. But what he's saying is, because I have come, and I am the Son of God, the one who narrates God, the one who brings the very words of God, and I am the clearest revelation of God, and they have rejected me, it is the greatest sin, because it is a sin against the clearest revelation of God. He goes on in verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. See, Jesus came not only with words, but he came with actions. He did the works, as he said, that no one else did. No one else has lived a life like Jesus Christ. No one has done the miracles that Jesus has done. 
No one has died on a cross and rose again from the dead. Jesus, in uh, Matthew eleven twenty one, denounces the cities of Israel. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Tyre and Sidon. If Sodom had seen the works that are performed in your cities by me, they would, he, that city would have repented. But you have not. See, the response of the world to Jesus is to see, uh, seeing him is to hate both him and the Father. See, Jesus came, as the scriptures say, so that the thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. What is the inside of how we feel about God? You see, in our natural selves, we have a deep enmity against anyone telling us what we have to do. In our culture right now today, if you label something other than the most heinous things as evil, you get instant blowback, don't you? How dare you tell me what's right and wrong? Who are you? And we see a concerted effort to wipe God from the public square. Let's get rid of him. Because if we get rid of God, we're not accountable to anyone. Jesus is very clear that the cross is an offense. And so Jesus tells his disciples and us that the attitude that the world has toward Jesus, it will have towards you. And Jesus lists two reasons why the world will have this attitude toward you. Number one, because you're not of this world. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, it, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, you used to be just like the world, following its passions and its desires, if you are a Christian. There was no acknowledgement or interest or love for God. The world loved you because you were just like it. But notice what Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. He tamed our rebellious hearts. He opened our eyes to the beauty of his grace. And he forgave us of our sins. And he put a new spirit inside of us, a desire to want to love and obey God. And so we live, my friends, even though we are on planet Earth, we live in a new world. We belong to the kingdom of God. Colossians 1.13 puts it this way, that he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the world will hate you because you are not of this world. But the second reason the world will hate you is because Jesus is our master. Look in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. There is a saying, right? Like father, like son. 
You take on the characteristics of those that you belong to. And we are in Christ, and we stand in Jesus' place. He has called us to take up his mission, to represent Jesus and to carry him into the world. The word Christian means little Christ. And so we will experience the same response. Human beings belonging to the world divide around Jesus' followers and their message exactly as they divided around Jesus and his message. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus says it's because of my name. See, the response that you receive from the world, whether for good or for ill, will finally turn not on who you are, but on who Jesus is. Is this fair? Certainly not. Jesus led a rescue mission to this earth. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't need to come, but he came with love. And this is what he received. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Notice their law. He's saying that this hatred of Jesus is not only unjustified, but those who hate are condemned out of their own Bible. Now, why is this important? Why is Jesus telling us this as his disciples? Jesus wants us to count the cost. He wants us to know that by taking the path of Christ, we are taking a path that is in opposition to the world. Now, for many of us who live in the United States of America, we are very blessed to be believers in this country. And you need to know why. This country was created in a very unique way, not because of ethnic or tribal boundaries, but instead because the people had come to believe and therefore embody a set of ideas. It was John Adams who said the secret to American freedom was American virtue. And Ben Franklin, who said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. See, the founding fathers, in seeking for a source of virtue, looked to Christianity. Because the message of Jesus was very prevalent in the colonies for a couple of reasons. One, the large amount of religious dissenters who had come to the United States of America... And this was also during the period of the Great Awakening. And so there was a, a strong belief in Jesus Christ and what he held to. It was John Adams as president who said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambi ambition, revenge, would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through our net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. 
Does this mean that the United States of America was and is a Christian nation? No. But it means it was founded with a Christian culture that has continued throughout the ages. But we have to ask ourselves the question now, do we continue to live in a Christian culture? The answer is no. Now, some of those principles are enshrined into law, but we see the erosion, that there is no longer a shared principle or understanding or belief in right and wrong. Indeed, anti-Christian bigotry is the only form of acceptable intolerance remaining in this country. Now, some people believe this country has been hijacked by the media and by government leaders. If we only got better leaders and reformed the media, all would be well. But you see, we live in a free country that has free elections. Our leaders and our entertainment and news industry is simply are simply giving the people what they want and that what they don't want is God. The USA is on a glide path with the rest of the world. And we should not be surprised because Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I remember when I became a Christian at the age of 18. I was dating a girl, and we were pretty close and pretty much saw eye to eye on just about everything until I became a Christian. And I remember the conversations that I used to have with her. You don't really believe what the Bible says is true, do you? It's ludicrous, it's ridiculous. I mean, read the story of Noah. There's no way that could have happened. And we would all of a sudden start arguing with one another. One time, while we were having a discussion, her mom got on the phone with me out of nowhere and called me a religious zealot. I think she was drunk. Um, but that's the way that she saw me. What was different from me? I was trying to be loving and caring, but I wasn't the same anymore. My friends, I'm here in the pulpit to tell you that it's only going to get worse. I believe there will come a day in this pulpit where I will be either fined or jailed for not saying something or saying something that I'm not supposed to. Because the world and Jesus are antithetical with one another. Some of you may long for the earlier days when all was easier, but those days are going away. And so you have to answer the question, and so do I, is Jesus enough? Why do I follow Jesus? Maybe when I decided to follow Jesus, it was easy. In fact, I got strokes or admiration 
in my small town for choosing to follow him. Maybe I follow Jesus because he, uh, the pastor told me that he would make my life easier and that there would have, I would have no problems in my life. It's not going to happen. Maybe I follow Jesus because he will give me better marriage, a better marriage and better relationships. But Jesus said, do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided against three and two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, and so on and so on. It's not going to get easier. So why do I choose Jesus? Do I want to follow him because he is the way and the truth and the life? Do I follow him because he is the one who loved me and died for me? to rescue me from my sins. And he is worth losing everything for. Jesus is saying to you and to me, examine yourself. To follow me is to walk in my steps. And that includes persecution and opposition. You're going to have to choose Jesus or the world because you can't have both. And some of you are trying to have it both. You're here on Sunday, but during the week, you follow the philosophy of the world and hold to its values and act like everyone else. I don't know if you've heard the saying, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Make your choice choose Christ. Because this leads me to my second point. Jesus has given us a mission amidst persecution. Notice verse 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus has given us as his disciples a mission to bear witness. Well, why should we bear witness when the world hates Jesus? But you see, Jesus has come to cause division so that the hearts of all would be revealed. Not everyone will hate Jesus after hearing his message. Some will respond to the gospel the Bible says creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Notice what Jesus is saying to these disciples and says to us that I chose you out of the world. God is not content to leave the world as it is. He made humans to love God and to love their neighbor. And he will not suffer this planet to continue so that we kill and oppress one another and rebel against God and people suffer and die. Jesus has come to inaugurate a new kingdom 
a kingdom of God in which he will destroy evil, rescue those captive to sin, and give his people new hearts. See, it is the cross that broke the grip of Satan on his people. Here is 2 Timothy 1.10, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. By dying on the cross for the sins of his people, Satan no longer has anything to accuse Christians by. And the gospel is the call that goes out to awaken and reconcile God's people to God, to bring them from death to life. One of my favorite movies is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I don't know if you remember the movie, the modern day movie in which Aslan, the lion who represents God, uh, allows himself to be killed in order to free uh, Edmund, who has rebelled against Aslan and sinned and is under the power of the evil queen. And by dying in Edmund's place, Edmund is free. But Aslan, following a deeper magic, by dying an innocent for the guilty, is reborn. And before he goes to the battle that is a raging to destroy the queen, finally, who holds the power of death. Before he goes and finishes off the queen, he embarks on a journey across Narnia. And what he does is he goes to all of the statues of those who have been turned into stone by the evil queen, and he breathes on them. It's this beautiful scene where he breathes on Mr. Tumnus. Remember the fawn who... Uh, who uh, rebelled against uh, Aslan and did the orders of the, white, of the evil queen, and he uh, breathes on him and wakes up Mr. Tumnus. See, in the same way we have been sent to wake people up, the gospel is what wakes God's people, takes their heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked the question, why would Jesus do something as crazy as sending us? I mean, why not go himself? It's kind of like this. Coming up soon will be the presidential nominations. And right at the very end, when they're counting all the votes, you know, they have these conventions where, uh, you know, in different cities where they have these big parties and there's, they're counting the votes. And and obviously one side loses and the other side is celebrating in whatever city, be Chicago or New Orleans, and they, they party because their candidate has won. Now what if the president-elect, and let's say they were celebrating in Chicago, said this is so much fun, I think I'm gonna stay here and let's just continue to party. The people would say to him, no way. You are now the president. It's time for you to go to Washington, D.C. to put into the effect the things that you promised to do for us, to represent us. And so Jesus Christ has gone into heaven to represent us to the Father. 
This is what Hebrews 8 says. That we have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, who entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. For Christ has entered into heaven now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is our advocate who has gone into heaven to put into place what he promised to do, to free us from the dominion of darkness. And he has poured out into the world the Holy Spirit. And he's given us a mission. Go and bear witness. Tell the world what I have done. Tell the good news. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that is what we preach. Some will hear and believe. Others will continue to be hardened. But Jesus says that I will be with you. And the Holy Spirit will come alongside you. So how do we bear witness? We bear witness with our life and our words. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. There is nothing more impactful on the world than a person who genuinely loves Jesus. Do you know that people are watching you? Your coworkers, your family, your neighbors. You are the bait. Jesus didn't say to be hunters of men. He said to be fishers of men. And if you're a fisher, you know anything about fishing, it's the fish that are in control, right? They're the ones that choose to bite. And so a good fisherman goes to where the fish are and learns what their needs are, what they're interested in, what they care about. That's what Jesus did, right? He came into our world. He went to lost people, and he loved them. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the woman at the well, even Judas Iscariot, they all knew that he cared. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Every Christian has a superpower. And that superpower is love. It's his love for us that when we were lost, he came and found us. And he says, take my love and love those around you. Of all of the conversion stories that I've heard, I think my favorite is that of Rosaria Butterfield, the leftist lesbian Syracuse uh, professor. She wrote an article that was titled, My Trainwreck Conversion. As a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then somehow, I became one. Rosaria was tired of all of the flack that she was getting from the religious right and their politics of hatred against queers like her. And so she launched her attack on the unholy trinity of Jesus, Republican politics, and the patriarchy in the form of an article about promise keepers. 
Rosaria said, I received hate mail. I received fan mail. But one letter I received defied my filing system. It was from the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter from the pastor, Ken Smith. Ken encouraged me to explore the kind of questions that I admire. He didn't argue with my article. He rather asked me to defend the presuppositions that undergirded it. I didn't know how to respond to it, so I threw it away. Later that night, I fished it out of the recycling bin and put it back on my desk where I stared at it for a week. With the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches, that Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as blue sky. But that is not what Ken did. He did not mock. He engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. Something else happened. Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics, and they did not act as if such conversations were polluted them, polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I'd never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. I started reading the Bible like the way a glutton devours food. I started going to church. At a dinner gathering my partner and I were hosting, my transgendered friend Jay cornered me in the kitchen. She put her large hand over me. The Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria, she warned. With tremors, I whispered, Jay, what if it is true? What if Jesus is a real and risen Lord? Then, one ordinary day, I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church had been, that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world too. What did Ken and Floyd do with Rosaria Butterfield? What they did took time, took courage, took love and wisdom and humility. But they brought the gospel to Rosaria Butterfield. So how are we doing in this mission? See, I think there are four different responses that we can give to the climate that we live in. Number one, we can withdraw from it. We can hide from the world, have no non-Christian friends. The church is like a bomb shelter. And we can turn away from their needs. But Jesus did not do that for us. We can't withdraw. Well, some, we can attack. 
right? Non-Christians are our enemy. Those who are anti-God, lesbian, homosexual, transgender, even the godless Democrats, or Republicans for that matter. Guys, I have to tell you that sometimes I look at your Facebook pages and I cringe. Because what they communicate is, I don't care about you. You are a thing, not a person. Understand that everything you say or do is representing him. And if Ken Smith's Facebook page looked at that, he would not get a mile within Rosaria Butterfield. Honor him with how you represent yourself and be wise in what you say and do. We can withdraw, we can attack, we can dabble. If it happens to me, if somebody is interested in hearing about the faith, of course I'll share. But I have my life, I have things to do. I'm too busy building my own kingdom. But that's not the way Jesus was with us, was it? Or we can engage. We can see that I am a witness. I am a missionary. We can call out to God, use me. We can ask the question, who do you want me to go to? Who should I befriend? Who should I love? And seek to share the greatest news. I can tell you that it's not going to be easy. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Well, I've overstayed myself. But as Jesus was for us, so he calls us to be for the world. Jesus gives us the ability and the responsibility to love those in the world while standing against the world. So by his grace, let us do so. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came and you found us and you overwhelmed us with your love. Pray for anyone who is hearing this message that if they have not surrendered to your love, that they would do so, that they would come home to your kingdom. Lord, give us the love and the courage and the wisdom to go into this world and to be salt and light for a lost generation. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.